Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Whoa, what day is it anyway? It's Sex and Science Hour day, that's all I know. <laughs> What's in a day anyway? Yeah. I mean, on Mars, a day is like 25 hours, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about that later. In fact, actually, we might be more uh, attuned to a 26-hour day. Hmm. And that uh, kind of makes you wonder, but anyway. I'm not saying it's aliens. I'm not saying we're from Mars or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Well, that's an interesting way to open up the show, leave people guessing. Brian's back, hey! Woo! Oh, let me tell you, I gotta say this quick. Like, I will, this chair belongs to the absolutely inimitable and wonderful MK Lords anytime she wants it, because I, that was awesome. Aww. Listening to that episode, I was just... In fact, I was having dinner alone, but I didn't feel alone. It was so nice. Oh, that's very sweet. It's like that meme of like me when I'm listening to a podcast and it has a, a billboard ad of like these kids like all playing a game and like laughing, like a board game and like yeah. laughing and talking in a circle. And you're just like sitting in front of it like, huh, yeah, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it reminds me of. But she, she's incredible. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. I had such a great time. Visiting MK, and then I had a great time doing the show with her. And we actually did several more podcasts, but you're gonna have to watch her feed for those. Yeah, she so does the show. Follow her on Patreon, and yeah, yeah. Was- if you go to mkwasright.site, that's the website to follow her. Uh, but man, yeah, I mean, you two have such a great chemistry. I can't wait to hear those shows. Anyway, well, thanks, Brian. But you yeah. know, I really love doing the show with you too, and I look forward to doing the show with you. So. Um, don't give up that share quite yet. Oh, I'm not. Oh, yeah. I know you're Thank happy you. to share, but yes. I love having you on the show too. So All right. Thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, let's get right into our stories. I was fascinated by this thing I heard about this week. Um, have you heard about this? There's these these crypto kitties that are basically like virtual beanie babies. Not even like a thing you can hold, but like a virtual cat that's on your computer. And it's created through the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum is... Uh, Oh, God, how do you just I always struggle with how to describe it succinctly. Basically, it's a decentralized computer. It's almost like Bitcoin, but it's sort of a whole other level to where 
You can program apps on the Ethereum computer, and you can make it do a lot more things that Bitcoin is not able to do. Um, but the concept is similar, that it's almost like a peer-to-peer network that acts as a computer, essentially. Yeah, that That's is, the simplest way I could describe right. it. Right. And now you can boil it down to it's Turing-complete Tamagotchi. I mean, that's <laughs> that's really what we've got here. Yeah, that's right. Because as we mentioned, these crypto kitties, it's some kind of app on, the, on Ethereum where you can trade. It, it's a game, essentially, where you can you can possess these cats and you can trade them and you can breed them with each other. Some of them breed faster than others. And those are more desirable. Apparently, some of them are trading for like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Ethereum. I bet. Yeah. And it's apparently created such a popular interest in this game that it's clogging up the Ethereum network. And (laughs) some company had to like delay their ICO because they couldn't create their tokens that they were going to offer in their ICO because the the, uh, network was getting so crowded. It was way too expensive (laughs) to do that. (laughs) Well, there's a reason that you know, programmers, seasoned programmers, programmers that actually have, uh, you know, some experience behind them, why they don't allow software to do anything, because this is exactly what happens. And there's also, you have another problem, you know, programmers years ago, sadly now, I guess, decades ago, used to be required to get like practically liberal arts degrees, like degrees in philosophy and all this, because they considered it, it was so important. <laughs> Why would important. they need that, Brian, if they're just making software? Come on. Well, right. I mean, but that's the thing is that, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to create something that is designed to either replace or create an inter, a human interaction of some kind, you need to know how humans interact and why and how, you know, the whole thing. Okay. Um, I mean, it, you know, I'm reminded, it's so funny. I'm reminded of, uh, uh, I bring this point up a lot. I'm reminded of uh, Sergey Brin, who's the, one of the co-founders of Google, mm-hmm. where when he started making Google Plus, uh, you know, which is a social media platform that failed spectacularly. And he pretty much came out and admitted eventually, he said, I don't have a social life. I don't even know how to interact Aww. with people. I I had no business making a social media platform. And I appreciate his honesty. I'm not making fun of him. I appreciate his honesty saying, yeah. look, I don't know how to make this work. Yeah, so, he's just saying this isn't my expertise. Right. So here's the thing is that the the ultimate expression of the human condition is art. Straight up. Whatever kind of art it ends up being. It could be Beanie Babies. It could be a Madonna album. You know, you take your pick of what it ends up being. And if you give free reign to people, that's all that you're going to end up with. And there's, I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but I guarantee that there's a lot of people really pissed off about these Turing complete Tamagotchi. Why would they be pissed off though? Because they're trying to use the network for other things. Yeah. Because they think they're going to program the world. You know, they, oh, I, see. I, I mean, see. They, they, they have, this is, <laughs> this is serious business. God damn it. We don't have time for games. No more games. We are going to program people to be the most efficient, productive uh, people that have ever existed. And they're going to know freedom, even though they cannot express themselves in any human way. Woo. Oh, I mean, some of the uh, early literature in Ethereum, I haven't really kept up with it very much. And of course, yeah. it's been overshadowed by all the ICOs and stuff. But oh, yeah. at the beginning of Ethereum, before the, the software even came out, some of the the... Uh, I guess vision that was laid out for it was kind of scary, frankly. Yeah, I found it, was it terrifying. Literally, sta- saying stuff like the founders were saying things like, "Oh yeah, we want to architect society, or we want to engineer society." Yeah, and that basically, like you know, code is more fair than humans. It's not susceptible to bias and emotions, and it's just logical and ruthless, and it's always does what it is programmed to do. And 
I mean, I, I think you and I have always been a little bit wary of that, Brian, because not only because just anytime somebody says, oh, yeah, I want to control, I want to be a social architect, I want to shape society according to my own vision, we feel skeptical of that. But also because it's sometimes you just need a human touch. Like robots, AI, they have their place. They they do a lot of very helpful things for us, but they can't replace a human being. And sometimes things just have to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Freedom exists within the cracks, the bending, and the loopholes. I mean, that's <laughs> right. Just, the rules are meant to be broken. Yeah. I, I mean, like this is, you know, anytime you're trying to program people and interactions at a mass scale of this kind, uh, which that's another problem already that's happening with Ethereum. It can't scale. You know, I mean, there's lots of yeah. companies using it, but they're not using your Ethereum that you have access to. They're using they've made their own their own and, version. Yeah. That's, right. Uh, that's basically not much different than a glorified database. <laughs> yeah. And they're keeping it localized. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Because so, it's on their servers. It's not decentralized. Yeah, not at all. Right. And, I mean, and they've altered the code so that it's not even like an immutable blockchain. It's like they can change history. They can rewrite stuff. So what's the point? Sure. It's purpose built. Yeah. You know, I mean, so are companies excited about it? Fine. But that means that should mean nothing to your actual ether that you own. Um, it's or really kitties. Yeah. I mean, look, if I knew that it was going to turn into these beanie babies, these digital beanie babies, I would have invested. I would have been like, oh, well, OK, this is great. I'm fine with that. Well, you should have known it was going to turn into the beanie babies. You're right. I should have known. <laughs> No, I mean, I I didn't see this coming, but I guess it makes total sense because, like you said, Brian, that people think of this as, oh, this is serious business. But, hey, games are serious business. That's how every kid throughout history learns and you know, develops and grows is is through play. Sure. I mean, and adults are no different. Adults still want to play. And so, of course, games are serious business. Everybody needs entertainment. Everybody likes to play games. That's what they're fun. You gotta have some fun in your life. There's a very old quote from Captain Kirk that says something to the effect of the more advanced the species, the greater the need for play. Oh, and, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah and I, and it's from the episode shore leave. And I think he's spot on uh, when he, when he says that. And I think this proves the point, go ahead, make the most advanced system in the world. We're just going to play with a fucker and have a good day. <laughs> now you were around when uh, the beanie baby, the actual beanie baby craze. In the oh yeah. Hit, yeah. yeah. You? My youngest brother was uh, quite the collector. Can you tell some stories about that? Because I'm just curious. I never, oh. I actually sort of missed the Beanie Baby boat. But a few years after that, in the early 2000s, I became an eBay seller and I was selling some things. And sometimes I was surprised how much plushies would go for. Yeah. So let me tell you who really made money with Beanie Babies. It wasn't Beanie, it wasn't the TY was the company, right? The company, yeah. Um, it wasn't TY. Do they even still exist? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even TY that, that made the money. It wasn't the people who were selling Beanie babies you know wherever else there were two industries that made a ton of money gas stations because they had all the rare ones and you would go to each <laughs> gas station and wonder of wonders you'd pull into the gas station it's like well gee i'm here to get this baby you know i could use some gas on my hunt and i, I mean they, they did very well the other companies are netting companies because rooms, netting. yeah, because rooms were, I mean, you had, the thing is, once you bought one, they're like potato chips, you know, you couldn't just have one and you'd end up getting tons of these things. You couldn't make enough shelf space. 
So eventually, you know, the, like these nets that you would hang oh, yeah. from the ceiling. I remember those things. Every little girl that I was friends with when I was a kid had one of those. It was usually called like a pet net. Uh, yeah, a it, pet net. Yeah, and it had like little, all these stuffed animals in it. Gas stations and pet net companies went, they are the ones that made all the money during <laughs> this. The, the rest of it was all tulip mania. Okay, so how can we make money off the crypto kitties? Well, they already are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how we can. What is but... the equivalent of gas stations? And I mean, Ethereum has gas, which is a thing that you have to. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. good. That's, that's, that's perfect. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but what is the equivalent of the of the pet net? I guess you don't need that because it doesn't take up any physical space. Yeah, I don't. You know, you know. Oh, here it is. Here's the idea. Okay, we we buy a bunch of like cheap ledger wallets. Right. Oh, and make Hardware it into wallets. a Tamagotchi. Yeah, ah! and make it into an actual Tamagotchi. It's genius. I That's love how we do it. In fact, you know, they just re-released like the 15th the or 20th. Tamagotchi. And, yeah. Yes, I know. But it oh my sucks God. compared to the original, though. I was going to get one. Well, if you, the ones in the 90s, if you didn't feed it, it would die and you had oh, to yeah. get another one. Well, the thing that was nice, the ones in the 90s, like you had a bunch of buttons on it, like you really had to take care of it. The one now, the re-release, the anniversary release that they did for like 20th anniversary or whatever, uh, that it only has one button and like it kind of just automated and does everything on its own. It's like, well, that's not any fucking fun. I want Aww. like a localized machine where I can, you know, really do all this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. Well, um, I definitely remember a girl in my math class having a Tamagotchi, and that was the first time I saw one. This was probably in 1997, I would guess. Yep, that'd be exactly right. Okay. Yeah, and I was like, what is that? And she's like, <laughs> oh, it's my Tamaguchi. She called it a Tamaguchi. Oh, yeah. But it's Tamagotchi. And I was like, well, what is a Tamaguchi? And she's like, oh, well, it's like this pet rock kind of thing where you have to pay attention to it and like feed it. And if you don't feed it, it dies and you have to get another one. And so she was sitting there in class, like kind of hiding it under the desk and like feeding it. And <laughs> I was so jealous because I wanted one. You know what kills me still with this? Between Tam Tamagotchi, Game Boys, whatever. You still have, like, I remember, because I had one back then. And I remember say people saying, Oh, it's like all kids do is they're looking at these little digital things oh. and, and they're carrying them wait around all the time. Wait till they get they, to 10 years later than that. Wait till those same adults get to 2007 <laughs> and every one of them's lined up for a goddamn iPhone. Yeah. I, every, they all have a Blackberry and they're waiting to get their iPhone. Exactly. I, I, I say this all the time. I want an apology from anyone that ever complained about a Game Boy because now all of you are worse addicts than we ever were with our Game Boys and Tamagotchi. You're crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I actually think like Tamagotchi's kind of prepared kids for actually taking some responsibility because there were literally like consequences to it. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, I got locked out of my account. I lost my password, like email the help desk. It's like, no, if you don't feed it, it fucking dies and you have to buy a new device. <laughs> <laughs> you can't bring it back to life. <laughs> I'm just like picturing little kids like outside of Walmart or something and the battery dies on it or something and just go, ah! Oh, no! Oh, my little yellow thing! Oh, I don't know. Whatever Wally! they call it. Oh, yeah. Billy! <laughs> no! I mean, because then, because there's nothing to save it after the battery goes. You, you, like, it would reset everything you had in it. So yeah. even if you were right there at Walmart and got it replaced, oh, man. But that would be that little kid for, like from Stranger Things, you know, with his pearls. You just... <laughs> that'd be really cute. Anyway... <laughs> Yeah. Did you ever have like a pet rock? 
No. Did you have any pets that trained you for taking real responsibility, like a fish? All right. So, like a fish? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did have fish. Uh, I had a black molly that I called Magnum P.I. Uh, but <laughs> oh, that's adorable. <laughs> uh, and, and then the, I had two of them. One, another one was Striker. But, uh, and, and I had, uh, what was the betas? The Siamese fighting fish? Yeah. Except uh, one day it jumped out of its bowl and I thought it was a hot dog on the floor. And, yeah, <gasps> oh! That was a bad situation. So, but I didn't outside... know that those jump. Well, I guess they do because they live in rice paddies, right? And they have to jump from one to the other. Yeah. Well, in mud puddles. I mean, that's yeah, where they thrive. That's right. um, you know what I did have that's kind of similar to this bullshit with, uh, with the, the, the uh, Turing Complete Tamagotchi. Uh, there was the software for Windows in the 90s called Dogs with a Z at the end. And cats with a Z at the end. Oh my god! Do you I remember think I this? Vaguely remember this. So yeah, what it was? It, it was kind of a screensaver, but you could turn on, you could open the the, the software, yeah. and this dog, and you could choose, you know, you could choose different features about it, whatever. And this dog would run around on your fucking desktop. It was great. I'd still have it today if somebody made like a modern equivalent of it. Did it like uh, grow or did it? Get, yeah, it would age. Could get skills or something. Yep, and, and it would sleep, and you like you could pick up a ball and toss the ball around on the oh, desktop. Oh yes, I and do remember you, it. You could get mean. Because you could get a spray bottle, and and like if the dog did something you didn't like, you'd spray it with the spray <gasps> bottle. That's uh kind of fucked up. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know that the dog could die. Not like Tamagotchi, where no. that, that you know Tamagotchi was so impressive because they had that f- fantastic Japanese fatalism. You know, where it's just like you know, it <laughs> right. died with honor. Yeah, so, you that's know, right. It's gone. <laughs> but uh, but but dogs and cats. Those two, those two pieces of software were phenomenal. I I mean I played. So many hours I played with that. I, I really, I actually, I miss it now. Now I'm, I need to go on the hunt for the new version. Yeah. You know what I haven't played in a while? A good worm game. There used to Oh, be they a, still make them. Worms? Oh, yeah, but I haven't found a, like a good one that I can just play. There used to be a game on Mac when I was like a real little kid, like eight years old, I would yeah. say. This would be, this would have been early 90s, like 92. Um, and it, there was a game called worm or something like that and it was like they had different versions of it but basically you were a little worm and you press the arrow keys to change the direction that the worm's always moving snakes snakes yeah that's right but it was called worm and the worm and it it eats food and it grows whenever it eats the food and you have to like avoid certain obstacles and stuff like that and sometimes there's two worms and you have to like compete with each other you can crash into each other yeah i used to play that on my apple elaborate worm world yeah, I'll um, I have I have a good version of that. I'll I'll, I'll hook you up. Maybe we can play two player. That'll, That'll be, be a hell of a so time. fun. I yeah, play I, worm. that is a classic game. I remember playing that on my Sounds Apple TV. Dirty. Well, we could play. I want to play some two player worm. <laughs> want to play some snakes? Yeah. <laughs> All right, stay tuned. There's more coming up. This is Sex and Science Hour. Coming up. Did Mars ever have life on it? We tease this. We're gonna pay the tease. Stay tuned. This is Sex and Science Hour. The search for life on the red planet. Growing evidence points to a once habitable world. And recent findings suggest that life could exist on Mars today. Now, I have have to say, I wouldn't be too surprised if there were, like, bacteria there or something. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, they found water, right? It's not that far off from Earth. Like, it's exchanging asteroids and shit like that. There could be tardigrades and things like that. Oh, yeah. I'm totally open to any of that. Um, I, I mean, there's so like Richard Hoagland's face on Mars and things like this. 
You, have, you know about that, right? You go right to the conspiracy. Well, I know about it, but maybe our listeners don't. So well, what, is, what is Richard Hoagland's face on Mars? It's infamous. It, you know, his claim is, is that uh, one of the Viking probes. It's got infamous. It. So if you don't know about it, you should feel bad. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, I didn't know about it until you told me. So and what? I'm not I'm not going to see I'm the not going to feel any shame about that. They played the crap out of the commercials for that back in the 90s. Your face on Mars shaming me, Brian. Yes. I don't appreciate that. All right. So well, what is it? The face. Um, okay. So the face on Mars, there is in, it's near Sidonia on Mars that I think that like the claim is, is that there is a picture of a structure of this face on Mars that looks very much like the face on the Sphinx. Okay. Which none of that makes any fucking sense and in fact they've gotten high resolution pictures and there is no face there um there's yeah, a I lot mean, of as i understand this was all based on like people say there's other stuff on mars too like pyramids and like yeah android parts like lying in the sand well that's like, on the moon oh that's the moon excuse yeah, me right. <laughs> i got my conspiracies mixed <laughs> up but basically it's all based on these like old grainy photos and it's just artifacts from like shadows and if you take a picture of the same spot in a different light there's nothing there. Now, are we to believe it's just been photoshopped out because that's what they want you to think? Well, I'm just going to say that despite kind of the craziness of, of those, I mean, especially like because the Sphinx was didn't originally have a human face anyway. So to compare anything to it is foolish. Um, I mean, it probably had the face of a lion, you know. Right. Uh, the Egyptians made it into a human face. Right, right. So anyway, that's a whole other story. So, but I'm not opposed to there having been some kind of life, maybe even fairly well developed, maybe even sapient life at one point um, on Mars. I, I, you know, I'm very open to that. Um, in fact, I have a video game that I, my first video game that I ever made, Hypercronius, uh, that you can find uh, if you go to zog.email. Uh, that has to do with actually an entire race on Mars that ends up populating the Earth like with humans yes and uh everybody should play hypercronia speaking of good games that's yeah. a awesome game but you know if you look at mars it almost looks as you would almost believe that it was like bombed out or something like some kind of nuclear weapon went off and it just like leveled the whole planet mm. almost i don't know i mean i really it, that's just my layperson's opinion totally unscientific and you know it it just is kind of interesting that um mars seems to be like a like almost the best candidate other than our moon for a planet that's actually could potentially be habitable by humans maybe with some work yeah i mean it's an almost earth right yeah like it's, it's, it's very that close, close to earth yeah and yeah. it's right next door well not really right next door but it's close enough you know <laughs> so that it there's actually talk of colonizing Mars by humans. Sure. They keep pushing back the date, but there's several companies that are now trying to actually do this. So, I mean, it would be definitely useful to know if Mars had ever supported life before. But here's the evidence. Okay, so here's the evidence that maybe there was life on Mars at some point. So there's watermarks on Mars. There's evidence of a massive freshwater lake in a crater, and that existed probably billions of years ago. Um, the analyses suggest that this environment had a relatively neutral pH, low salinity or saltiness, and elements that make up the building blocks of life, carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, sulfur, nitrogen, and phosphorus. Uh, Curiosity has detected sample organic simple organic molecules in this region, methane, chlorobenzene, and longer chain molecules resembling fatty acids. 
I mean, that's pretty that's pretty damning, I would say. Yeah. I won't read this whole thing, but there's also salty surfaces on Earth, on Mars that may be a sign of um, potentially like oceans, or they could be an energy source for some organisms. Mars has a lot of something called perchlorates, which is a type of salt, and perchlorates lower the freezing point and evaporation rate of water, which would allow liquid H2O to exist on Martian conditions. And on Earth, perchlorates also act as an energy source for some microbes. Um, they're kind of dangerous to humans, though, because they, I guess they do something to the thyroid or something like that. So humans have to be careful, but they might just be a remnant of some, you know, some other organism that used to use them for metabolism. Yeah, I mean, I, I could believe it, you know, either simple life or whatever. I mean, like, I could really have seen that, uh, you know, being a thing. And who knows, you know, something made that prime asteroid belt, you know, and <laughs> when you're playing galactic billiards civilizations species die oh are you, know? you okay so are you alluding to the idea that there may have been another planet that was kind of between earth and mars that it has got basically smashed and is now the asteroid belt but it was at one time a planet yeah, there's some kind of celestial body there that could have done some ravaging i mean yeah, you know, or i don't moon, know maybe something like that yeah i don't know how much vitrification you'd find on mars to where there's like this destructive force like a nuclear uh, you know, explosion or uh, yeah, no, even that's a meteor true, or anything it, like that. Basically, it does turn to glass. Right. But if it happened billions of years ago, then maybe not. Well, right. I mean, and, you know, we do have Martian sands. I mean, it's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred or a couple hundred years ago or whenever, well, maybe it's a little before that, when Mars was originally being studied, it was pretty much accepted fact that there must be Martians, like that there must be, like they thought that, that a lot of the uh, literal know, little green men. Yeah, yeah, like that that little what seemed or like dry waterways or whatever, they thought they were canyons, or I mean uh, canals, I'm sorry, not canyons, canals, which are, they use the word canals, which means that it was built by a person, right. not, not by, you know, it's not a natural formation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, not, like, it's not a new idea, but it's interesting that there's evidence to point at it now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're getting closer. I think in our lifetime, hopefully in our lifetime, I hope that we will see human settlements of Mars and the moon as well. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. Would you want to go to space, Brian? <laughs> I'm going to stay right here. You guys can go first. You go, you go first. I'll come back for you, baby. There's not going to be <laughs> anarchism in space, at least not yet. Oh, so. there's going to be anarchism in space. <laughs> I don't know. Even still, it may not be worth it. I'll, I think I'll stay right here. I'm so well adapted for the Earth. Such you a, might be well adapted for Mars. Thing. Maybe, yeah. There's there's, the, there's there's genuine theories about that. Yeah. Where where, where the guy the, said... The circadian clock goes for 25 and a half hours or something, right. which is more like Mars's day instead of Earth's day. Yeah, where we seem way more adapted for... I mean, and, and there's plenty of holes in that theory. You yeah, know, that's It's right. not perfect at yeah. all, but, uh, but it's interesting to think about. Well... Speaking of uh, speaking of things that are, well, I don't know, speaking of the environment, let's just say, uh, there's been a movement to have LED lights outdoors to save energy and combat global warming and blah, blah, blah. But apparently it has completely backfired. This is by our good old friend George Dvorsky over at Gizmodo. And he says, yeah, the switch to outdoor LED lighting has completely backfired. It's creating more light pollution than ever before, and it hasn't yielded the expected energy savings. (laughs) Using satellite-based sensors, an international team of scientists sought to understand if our planet's surface is getting brighter or darker at night, and to determine if LEDs are saving energy at the global scale. 
with the introduction of solid-state lighting such as LEDs, OLEDs, and PLEDs, it was thought and hoped that the transition to it from conventional lighting, like electrical filaments, gas, and plasma, would result in big energy savings. According to the latest research, however, the use of LEDs has resulted in a rebound effect whereby many jurisdictions have opted to use even more light owing to the associated energy savings. So basically, yes, it's cheaper to run LEDs, but that just means, okay, well, doesn't matter, we can leave the lights on. And it's creating more light pollution than ever. Indeed, as the new results show, the amount of outdoor lighting around the world has increased during the past several years. As a result, the world has experienced widespread loss of the night with half of Europe and a quarter of North America experiencing substantially modified light-dark cycles, write the researchers in the new study, which was published today in Scientific Advances. This conclusion was reached after analyzing high-res images collected by the day-night band instrument that's on board the Suomi NPP weather satellite. This sensor features a spatial resolution of 750 meters and can see light in the range of 500 to 900 nanometers. Humans see in the range of 400 to 700. Traditional lamps emit some infrared that the DNB can detect, and LEDs produce a lot of blue light that the sensor cannot see. So as cities transition their outdoor lights to LED, scientists often see decreases in the light observed by satellite, which to the human eye would seem to have the same brightness. So that's how they figured out what percentage of these lights were actually LEDs. Ah. That's kind of a complicated way to explain it, but basically... You know, you can see on just regular visual light images of the Earth that it's getting there's more and more lights on at night. But then when you take this satellite, only some of them are visible to the satellite because the satellite doesn't see LED, essentially, even though humans do. Right. So basically, yeah, there was a study that found that um, people are keeping the lights on at night. And who knows what effects that's going to have on human beings, on the environment, because, you know, there's a lot of organisms, including ourselves, Like, we are diurnal creatures, and some creatures are nocturnal, but every creature pretty much has some kind of circadian rhythm, whether they're active at night or whether they're active during the day. Right. um, There's some kind of circadian rhythm that is like an ebb and flow and a wave of activity, and they sleep during one part of the phase, and they wake during the other part. And if you fuck it up by putting out a bunch of LED lights at night or just a bunch of lights in general— um, those creatures might get kind of screwed up and, and mad and agitated. <laughs> I mean, it certainly seems like humans are experiencing worse sleep than ever before in history. And I don't know how much that has to do with lights, but I know what you Really? Mean. You don't think it has anything to do with lights at night? Um, I mean, you have remedies for that. You know, blackout curtains. I mean, there's a lot of things like, I, yeah, I'm, but I'm not saying. Hard. It's hard. It's hard to. Okay. So if you're driving at night in the dark. You're going to see a lot of lights, right? Oh, sure. Also, some pl- some places where people live, it's like you c- can't escape the lights at night. Yeah, you could go to the trouble of putting up blackout curtains or wear a mask at night. But, I mean, not everybody does that or thinks to do it. And it's just like if you don't take any steps, the light is going to get in your face. Yeah, I meant more that, like, I think cell phones and things like that are keeping people awake oh, more well, so than... Oh, well, that's... Yeah, yeah, I guess that could be considered another form of light pollution. Oh, in, in a, a way, actually, that's a good point. In a way, uh, that that really is. Um, I I mean, what do, you, what do you think about this? I mean, what do you... Um, I just wanted to talk about it with you because I know you're the resident lighting expert. Um, I'm not surprised that some kind of government plan backfired <laughs> well, it's the, at you, all. Right. I mean, the unintended consequences, right? I mean, that's really yeah. what, what went down here. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know because I don't, 
I, I get it like that there's nocturnal species and all that, but I mean, a lot of those nocturnal creatures are not going to be living within cities and you could say cities are going to affect, I mean, just life is going to inhabit where it's comfortable anyway. I don't think you're necessarily going to wipe out entire species because of, of light pollution. You know, humans being unhealthy is, is another situation entirely. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I'm sort of reminded of an interesting play on this where in Arthur C. Clarke's book, it's the third book in the space odyssey series, starting with 2001, the third book is 2061 and spoiler alert, the book's been around for decades. So shouldn't matter, but spoiler alert in that the monolith makes Jupiter into another sun. Oh, and when that happens, there's no more nighttime on earth mm. and uh, Arthur C. Clarke being the genuinely brilliant scientist and engineer that he was, you know, really did a lot of play with this. Like what was life like with all of that? Mm-hmm. And certainly there are differences and some species did kind of die off. Uh, but it also, I mean, I don't know there, the way that he kind of thought it out, granted, I guess he was kind of central planning. Um, <laughs> it wasn't entirely negative. It, it was, it was, it was fascinating. So yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Well, I don't know. It 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 would take a while to out evolve our circadians, and we're not really evolving anymore. I saw this other sure. article this week that said basically this is it. Humans aren't getting any better because we've eliminated the effects <laughs> of evolution. <laughs> we've eliminated the natural selection. Yeah. <laughs> Gut microbes can protect you against high blood pressure. I saw this on one of my paleo email lists or something like that. And I thought it was really interesting because it touches on something that's like been a hot topic in immunology, T helper 17 cells or TH17 cells. Basically, um, there's a new study that shows that certain microbes in your gut could protect you against the effects of a high salt diet. And they do that via effects on the immune system. And this is a little bit complicated, but I'll try to talk you through it. So basically, everybody kind of associates eating a diet that's high in salt with high blood pressure, right? Because when you eat a lot of salt, water follows salt in your body through osmosis. And because your your kidneys can't excrete that salt as quickly as uh, they can't excrete it very quickly, um, you end up retaining salt and you end up retaining water along with it. So as a result, there's more blood volume inside your network of blood vessels. And especially as people get older, their blood vessels get kind of hard and leathery and they're mm. they're not as good at expanding to accumulate that extra volume. So what happens is their blood pressure basically goes up. And you can get extreme examples of that where you get like edema and like the, which, which is basically fluid that's kind of extravasating outside of the blood vessels and pooling up in your limbs and extremities and things like that. Um, and you can also get effects on the small blood vessels like in your eyes if it's really high blood pressure or you can get strokes and heart attacks. So it's no good. You don't want to have high blood pressure. But um, basically... This study found that uh, there's some immune cells called the T helper 17 cells. I remember hearing about them about 10 years ago. And at the time, nobody really knew exactly what they did, but they knew that they were important somehow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, there's also these, there's a lot of different branches of the immune system. And now what we're finding is that the immune system kind of controls everything in a certain way. And there's like branches of the immune system that all they do is just regulate other branches. Right. There's branches that kind of balance each other out. Yeah, it's like white collar immune system. Yeah. Upper management. 
uh white collar get it oh okay um what's the blue collar immune system <laughs> the one that actually does something instead of just regulating <laughs> what other does ones do. the work <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there there're not too many middle managers in the immune system it's a very efficient uh it's not a bureaucracy but <laughs> but it does a lot more stuff than people think and the microbes in your gut because so much of the immune system is actually contained and educated within your gut um the microbes in your gut really affect the workings of your immune system. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this study uh, fed mice a a high-salt diet. And the control group of mice was eating a diet that was about half a percent uh, salt by weight. And then they took another group of mice and they they fed them like four times that amount. So it was 2% salt, which I don't know what that's equivalent to in humans. Would that be like a like a fast food hamburger kind of diet versus kind of like a, like a, you know, dash diet, the diet of the American (laughs) Heart Association that they suggest. I'm not really sure. But the high salt diet predictably led to the mice having high blood pressure. But they found that that effect was reversed when they gave the mice a specific probiotic. And they found that um, I guess this, the high-salt diet actually killed off some beneficial bacteria in the mice's gut, which led to a derangement of the immune system and, through unknown mechanisms, maybe inflammation, uh, raised their blood pressure. Wow. Yep. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the person who did the study says, we're learning that the immune system exerts a lot of control on the body above and beyond what we generally think of as immunity. The mechanisms by which it exerts that control are still being unraveled. So it's kind of like it's in line with what they've been discovering with uh, like gut bacteria, how it affects your mentality a lot and, and things like this. Just where yeah. before you didn't really think that it mattered. Right. You know? I mean, every day we hear new findings about how the gut bacteria control everything from like your your mood and your food choices like right. your behavior even to things like cancer risk and cancer progression right i mean h pylori i guess is associated with uh, gastric cancer now stomach cancer see this is one of those things where uh, you know you hear stuff like this and when you talk about transferring like human consciousness into a machine i don't mean to take this in the left field we can leave but i'm just saying like there's so many going to left field <laughs> well, well i'm just saying there's so many parts of the human body i think that make up your thought process you know i don't want to say that it makes up consciousness necessar- necessarily but that makes up who you are i think from gut bacteria, now you're talking about immunity potentially doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, you can't translate that? You know, once oh, you yeah. take consciousness out of the human body, I think you lost the human completely. I agree. I mean, like, yes, the seed of consciousness is in the brain. Sure. But it's not the whole thing. Right. You exactly. can't just take someone's head and expect it to be the same person because part of who you are is your experience of being inside your body and the rest of your body and the influence that the things like the gut microbiome and other parts of your body have on your brain. Yeah. And vice versa, the influence that your brain has on your body. I mean, like, if, you're, if your brain couldn't move your body, that would be a really weird thing that would change who you are. Yeah, I mean, that alone, like, yeah, even losing functionality could really change who you are, sure. What, uh, I mean, like, what if you were in a different gender body, right? Oh, that's what a lot of people, well, <laughs> some people fantasize about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, like, we can experiment If with you that. put your head on a on a woman's body, Brian, would it be the same person? No, obviously not. No, I'd be playing with my tits, like, nonstop. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. 
please. No. <laughs> That's what every guy says. He's like, if I could become a woman for a day, all I would do is just play with my own tits. We don't think that about you. Like, if I became a man for a day, I would not just have my hand on my dick the whole day. I'm, I want right, to cl- take the high road and say that. But let's be clear. Most guys do. Have their hand on their dick all day? Yes. Or if, if they if they, if they had well, the opportunity, they would. I would be a better man they would. than they. I know. I know. I and be I'm being somewhat in jest about the tits thing, obviously. Yeah. You know, but, well, I mean, I'm sure it would be fascinating if you could switch yeah. genders. There's so, been so many books about that. Um, or if you could switch sexes, rather, or bodies. I don't know what to call it. Because, you know, gender and sex aren't synonymous anymore. And body parts and are not the same as gender. Right. But regardless, if you could have a different experience by altering your body, it would be very interesting. But you would not be the same person. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and so this is this is the kind of stuff that we learn where we need to like put the brakes a little bit on tra- on transhumanism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wait a minute. What exactly does it mean to be human? Well, maybe right it's down o- to the immune system. Maybe it's okay, though, because we change our bodies all the time and our bodies are constantly changing. So maybe it's okay that we're not the same person from minute to minute. But a sudden change, that may not be so good. We're coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. I was going to tell people during that very short break to imagine what it would be like to live inside of a different body. I think that's a good thought experiment, right? Uh, Don't spend too much time thinking about it, though, because you could get lost in the weeds. You could be playing with your imaginary tits all day. Uh, (laughs) I got a headline here from Vice. (laughs) You you just got that? That was a delayed reaction. I, I just, yeah, it took me a second, I guess. Were you playing with your imaginary tits? No, 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 be honest, Brian. No, nor was my hand on my dick. But (laughs) (laughs) it's just like, oh, just play with your imaginary tits. And I'm just like, wait a minute. (laughs) I don't know. It did come off as an interesting idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I got an article here with a misleading headline. It says, the headline says, bringing work home can mess with your sex life. So I thought it was going to be an article all about people who, you know, check their email at night are not getting laid, which, you know, that wouldn't be too surprising. Of course, you're checking your email. Stressful, right? If you're checking your email, you're not sucking dick. Am I right? Uh, Well, yeah, or probably getting yours sucked. I mean, I don't know. I can't look at email and like and get a heart on. No, no, no. I heard of this. I was I was at a, a restaurant once and I heard. There were two women talking. They both must have been massage therapists or professionals of some kind, body workers. And this one woman was telling the other one that she had a client who wanted her to massage her while she was literally checking her email at the same time. She wanted her to, like, to give her a massage while she was working and sending emails. Okay. And the the massage therapist was like, can you believe that? That's like just so counter to the point of a massage. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I agree. That's crazy. That client was a crazy woman. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> that's when you know you're too obsessed with work. So, of course, if you're not, you know, if you're working, you're not doing other things. And work is stressful. And there's nothing less sexy than stress. Yes. Right. For most people, work is stressful to a certain degree, at least. Yeah. I mean, if your work is sex work. Yeah. Right. Well, if your work is sex work, yeah, that's a whole different different yeah. ball game. But most people aren't sex workers, and they're bringing home totally unsexy emails and checking them <laughs> at night <laughs> about the sucking dick thing. I was going to say we watched this this Leslie Jones comedy skit oh, yeah. last night, and you know her set was pretty funny, but then she went into the crowd. 
and she was going up to all these women <laughs> and she'd interrogate them. She would literally like get on, like loom over them yeah. and get and she's right. She's a big gal. She's huge. She's six feet tall. She would get right in their face. They would look terrified <laughs> and she'd be like, you sucking dick? <laughs> you sucking dick? And then they'd say, no, they'd shake their head. Oh no, I'm not sucking any dick. And then she'd just keep asking them over and over again. She'd be like interrogating them. One woman fell out of her seat laughing. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was so funny. Anyway, I recommend watching it. It was, it was very good. Um, but anyway, <laughs> bringing work home can mess with your sex life. Well, that's not actually what this article is about. It's actually about a new study that finds that on days that people have sex at home, they report being more productive, happier, and more engaged at work the following day. Wait, so having sex at home... Mm-hmm. Makes you more productive at work the next day. I imagine. Happier. I mean, you're actually getting what you're really working for. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, wait, how are you working for sex? Well, no, I, I'm being somewhat funny, but I, I'm just saying, I mean, to some people, like, that's the whole reason they do anything that they do is so that at some point they can have sex. Yeah. I mean, some people like to have a cold brew at the end of the day. Some people like to, you know, have a have some fun. Have a stiff I mean, one. Yeah. Have a stiff one. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, so this was on married heterosexual people, age 35 on average. And it was a, from a two-week diary survey of 159 married adults who were also employed full-time. For each day of the study, participants completed three online surveys, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and another one in the evening. The morning survey inquired about participants' frequency of sexual intercourse the previous day and their current mood state. The afternoon survey looked at how satisfied and immersed they'd felt at work, and the evening survey asked about work-life conflict issues they experienced. On the days that participants had sex, they felt happier at work the following day. Specifically, positive moods increased about 5% on average. 5%? Is that even statistically significant? Yeah, I mean... I feel like when I get laid up over the next 10. day, I feel much better than 5% better. Yeah. I feel like probably at least like 25% better. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, I'd, I'd give you a solid like 40 <laughs> myself. Yeah. I mean, you're like, Big you know, kind of dancing, you know, like you're twirling your tea. Yeah. But I'm just that kind of person. I'm yeah. very expressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Employees were more satisfied and engaged with their jobs on post-sex days as well. And at the same time, on p days when people felt particularly stressed and pressured at work, they were less likely to have sex when they got home. Oh, I guess that's what the headline's about. Aha. So on the days when they had a shitty day at work, they were less likely to have sex when they got home. Which tells us that there's a two-way relationship here. While sex might make us happier at work, bringing work home seems to interfere with our sex lives. Now, when they say bringing work home, they don't mean literally checking your emails at home. They mean worrying about it at home. Oh. They mean bringing your problems from work home mentally. Yeah. This is tough. That's I mean, hard. There's yeah, not hard a lot of jobs. Do. There's not a lot of jobs anymore where you, especially if you want to get paid well, where you, when you leave the building, you know, when you close the door behind mm -hmm. you, that you don't think about work anymore. Oh, especially nowadays. I mean, people are expected to be available 24-7 yeah. pretty much on email all the time. And most people are yeah. because they're constantly looking at their phones and email. Yeah. 
I had a, I had a back and forth with an off an author the other day that I was talking to her about doing some audiobooks for her, mm-hmm. and like we emailed each other. She emailed me on like a Friday or something, and then I got back to her on Saturday, and then I didn't hear back from her from mon- until Monday, and she said, "Hey, like sorry for the delay. I don't check my email on weekends." And I was like, oh, my God, you're so cool. I want to not check my email (laughs) on weekends. Can I not check my email on weekends? And, you know, sometimes I do. But, like, I always check it. I just don't always respond on the weekends or, like, at night. Yeah. Um, And some people get really offended by that. They're like, oh, my God, did you get my email? Like, they'll text me and they'll be like, hey, did you get my email? They'll call me. Hey, did you get my email? You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not everybody does that. The only, like, very few people do that. But, like... Seriously, some people have no patience. They're like, they don't get it that some people aren't glued to their email screen all fucking day. Yeah, or their text or their messenger or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all, absolutely. Yeah, all hours of the day and night, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. That that drives me really nuts. And yeah, honestly, I mean, stress can kill your sex drive. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I, I mean, it can really, it can put a damper on all of it. I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't get as, uh, you know, sexy and freak flag flying is because they're just so stressed out and I feel terrible about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and while we're speaking of, of stress and lights, like we were in the last segment with the yeah. LEDs, um, you know, one of the biggest hidden stressors that a lot of people have is poor quality of sleep or not enough sleep. And really, I'm going to start pounding the pulpit for this because for the longest time, I denied it. I ignored it. I fought it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to believe it was true. But it was so true. And now that I've finally accepted it as truth, I am feeling so much better. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I had listened to this advice sooner. The, and I'm talking about the conventional wisdom that says, go to bed at 10 or 1030. Right. But try to go to bed well before midnight because every hour of sleep that you get before midnight is more restorative than the hours that you could get if you bet went to bed after midnight. It doesn't work just sleeping the same number of hours and going to bed later. You really have to try to go to bed around 10 because it has to do with the sun. It has to do with the the hours that the sunlight is on and the dark hours. And that's just the way your body works. It wants to sleep at that time. It gets better. You get better release of growth hormone, recovery from workouts and athletic performance that way. you Just everything. You make less cortisol. You have better uh, glucose tolerance. It's easier to lose weight if you go to bed early. It's easier to get, it, get into or stay in ketosis. The benefits are myriad. It'll affect your menstrual cycle if you have one. Like everything is affected by, by a bedtime. And sleep is such a cornerstone of health. But most people aren't even lucky enough to be thinking about sleeping the same number of hours, but just going to bed after midnight. They're just struggling to get like five or six hours a night. And that hurts your immune system. It, it, it wreaks havoc on everything. Plus, it makes you feel like shit. It makes you gain weight. It makes you sick more. It kills your sex drive. And it's just really difficult to function when it's that way. And so I know some people, it's hard to avoid doing shift work and things like that. But try, try, try if you can to adjust your lifestyle so that you can get to sleep a little bit earlier. Because, I mean, it, it will help. And if possible, try to go to bed, you know, around 10 or 1030. That's what I've been doing and I really like it. <laughs> and yeah, when you're looking at a phone all night and it's a blue screen glaring at you, um, you don't want to go to sleep. And when your sleep suffers, your sex drive suffers. So it's all connected. It's all like a vicious cycle. That's why I mentioned it, because 
sleep is poor sleep is one of the biggest stressors that chronic stressors that people have. Sure. And chronic stressors like that could be really draining away your sexual resources. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't buy I didn't buy any of what you said until really recently. I didn't um, either. I fought it so hard yeah. because you know why? You know why I resisted listeners? I want to tell you this. Because for so long, I associated going to bed early and go, getting up early with something that I had to do. Yeah, with like Because school. my parents said so. Because yeah. some authority figure told me to. And then when I started working, it was like, oh, I have to go to bed so I can get up for work, right? Or when I was a kid, oh, I have to go to bed so I can get up for school. Oh, fucking kill me, right? Like, you hate yeah. school. And you really usually don't like work either. <laughs> Especially if you have to get up at some weird time, like super early in the morning. So nobody wants to go to bed because then that means they have to get up early and it's going to be painful to get up so early. So I associated it with like a loss of freedom of going to bed early. And actually staying up late was like a way I felt I was reclaiming my freedom. But actually it was making me feel like shit and it was making me sick. Yeah. So now I go to bed early, but on my own terms. And I'm happy to go to bed early because I know it's going to feel good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I know it's hard to accept, but it's. It's really true. There's a reason that that's kind of conventional wisdom. And again, like I know some people do shift work. Some people have to do shift work, right? Mm -hmm. But try if you can, you know, and if you're really having a lot of chronic health problems, maybe you do want to consider a life, a life reorg to be able to take advantage of that natural time that your body wants to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that was honestly one of the reasons I quit med school. I will just say that because I knew that the sleep disturbances were going to be really, really horrible and I wasn't going to handle it well. Sure. <laughs> All right. We got a question. We're in the um, advice segment now. We got a question about dating with a fetish. Oh. Ready for this, Brian? All right. This was posted in our Facebook group. By the way, if you want to join it, you can go to Facebook and search for the Sex and Science Hour podcast community. And it's become a very active group. We get new people joining every week. Um, it's really built up. And now it's to the point where there's multiple articles posted per day. Yeah. I can't even keep up with doing all of them for show prep on the show. But there's often some interesting discussions that go along with them. So yeah. I really appreciate all our listeners who take the time to participate in that group. It makes for a very interesting group that you can always go to and just find like interesting brain provoking articles yeah. and questions like this one. So anyway, the question asker says, and this is, I think, a gal. I think she confirmed that in my follow up. Uh, I had a sexual and romantic, or sorry, a sexual and relationship question, and I figured this was probably the best place to post it. It's a two part question. One. Does anyone have a fetish or a physical preference that you feel almost exclusively attracted to? Two, how do you handle dating with it? I've been trying to experiment with some online dating, and I'm finding this a challenge. A lot of the experts would be screaming at me right now that I should not have deleted that profile, and I should have gone out with those people who showed interest in me and not been so shallow. But I think feeling physically attracted to someone is very important. In the past, I've tried to be intimate with someone I was not attracted to, and it actually made me feel really gross. But when do those types of preferences start to become abnormal or start to interfere with the ability to find a partner or a relationship? Did that make sense, Brian, the way that question was laid out? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So it, it did. It made more sense to me when I clarified it because I, you know, I replied to this post and I said, 
There's something to be said for just following your gut instinct, right? If you don't feel excited about meeting someone based on the interaction, the interactions with them that you've had online, for whatever reason, just be either they seem boring or they seem dangerous even, but you can't even quite put your finger on why, if you're not 100% excited about meeting them, don't do it. Right. You know, just trust yourself, especially if you're a woman, because you really can't be too careful with that. And why would you want to go out with somebody that you really weren't excited about? Unless, I guess, you know that you have like a uh, an issue that you disengage from people because you're afraid of relationships or intimacy or something like that. But even still, like maybe you could talk about that with the therapist, but um, or, or maybe, you know, you're you're right, and they're just losers. <laughs> you know, like, it's not a good idea to meet up with them. So, like, don't feel bad about being picky, right? Um, a lot of people don't have luck with online dating, and women in particular tend to get inundated with messages, especially if they're looking for a guy. God forbid. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they tend to get inundated with messages and date requests, and most of those people are not going to be a good match for you. So if you already know that they're not a good match for you before you even meet them, don't waste your time. Just don't go. Yeah. And as far as having a, a a specific preference or a fetish, that could make it a little harder to find a partner. And I but I still don't think you should necessarily settle, especially if it's not an uncommon fetish. So I asked her, I said, what's your fetish? Because <laughs> right. I think everybody wants to know, right? Everyone's like, what yeah. is her fetish? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was expecting much worse than this. She has a hair fetish. She has a thing uh-huh. for hair. Okay. She likes guys with long, gorgeous, Fabio-like hair. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I Yeah, we were watching a <laughs> wrestling match tonight. I was like, you know, that guy's hair really works for him. <laughs> His long hair. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I really like long hair. I wouldn't say it's a fetish for me because typically fetish is a word I associate with it being a requirement. Like you could never... You have to have that to even get turned on. Right. That's the strict definition of a fetish. She might not mean it that way. She just might mean that she's tends to be mostly it's like a type, you know, like she tends to be mostly attracted to men with long hair. Um, But I don't know. I don't know how stringent her requirement is, but it's definitely a preference, at least for her. Sure. And she said that basically she got a lot of date requests, but they were from bald guys. (laughs) Oh, well, all right. And she didn't want to say it because she didn't want to offend you, Brian. You're bald. (laughs) Now, I I will just say this. I would have never pictured myself falling in love with a bald man, but here we are. (laughs) Here we are, five years later. (laughs) And I think you're gorgeous, Brian. (laughs) Thank you. And I like it, even though I still appreciate long hair. Yeah, no, same here. But, I mean, this is the thing. There just really aren't a lot of people that can actually pull off the bald look i mean like i don't don't know what it is there's a lot of people who do it wrong because i I hear that a lot from people saying like i I never thought a guy could look good bald and then you know um patrick stewart well right that's the thing you got patrick stewart stone cold steve austin goldberg Steve austin yeah yeah and me and like no (laughs) i don't mean to put myself in their class but you know i mean like it's tough so i don't think there's anything wrong with not digging bald dudes like because most of them it doesn't look right it just really doesn't look like right, look right on him. Yeah, and I mean, you don't have to be ashamed of that. For whatever reason, you don't dig bald dudes. You don't dig bald dudes. And so, yeah. yes, being physically attracted to someone is important. It is important for a relationship. Oh, sure. And for some people, attraction... For some people, they just don't really feel attracted to anyone at first. They like to get to know a person. 
and then the the sexual attraction develops. But for some people, they really need that physical chemistry kind of right away. And it's it's different for them. So depending on what type you are, you know, it might be really important to you to have a guy with long hair. Now, I suggested she go to some metal shows or maybe some yeah. wrestling, wrestling shows and just chat up some of the dudes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing, like, it's important to pay attention to your preferences, your physical preferences and a partner or whatever, because if if you try to ignore it and, you know, you just try to fall in love with the person, which I mean, yeah, that can happen. You can get over, say, certain physical like there's a difference between a person not having your physical preferences and, say, not being the most attractive. Right. Like those are two very different things. And I think you can get it's it, you can get over not being so attractive, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's the story of my life. Um, because <laughs> I actually don't think I actually think most men are not very attractive, but I agree. women just grow to love them because they're taught like it's not that important for a man to be attractive. Right. I agree. Men are not attractive. Um, so except for Patrick Stewart. But the but, you know, so what I guess what I'm saying is that there will always be like this unconscious little problem that your preference or fetish isn't being satisfied or met. Right. And you might always be looking at those dudes with long hair in the grocery oh, store and thinking, right. I could have had him. <laughs> or, or you're just going to feel a general uncomfortableness because there's just there's this thing that's such that might be so core to you. And that's OK. Like, I know people mm-hmm. are going to say, well, that's awfully shallow. No, it's a, it's just it's your preference. It's who you are. Yeah, That's OK. Or alternatively, I mean, you could flip that around, Brian, what you just said. And like, if you did fall in love with somebody, if you gave somebody a chance who was bald, perhaps, uh-huh. and you ended up falling in love with them, you could maybe get your long hair fetish met in some other ways, like, you know, become a hairdresser or something. Well, that's kind of creepy. You don't want to involve your clients <laughs> oh, no, on it. No. no, never mind. I said that. <laughs> but you could maybe like watch, go to metal shows every once in a while or sure. just look look at people with long hair, get some like watch some Game of Thrones or something like that and get it met that way. Sure. I don't know if that works for a genuine fetish, but for a preference, sure, you get to look at some pretty boys and everybody's happy. Now, if she had said, my fetish is adult baby diaper lovers or something like that, (laughs) or if she had said, my fetish is like latex or something like Uh. that, something a little bit that I would consider maybe a little more kinky. I don't know. Hair could be kinky for sure. Yeah. Like if she had said something a little more extreme, I would say, on the fetish spectrum, I would say you're you're gonna be have to be careful, yes, in who you're dating, right? You're gonna have to make you you're gonna have to make sure you feel safe and you're not subject to some of the abusive par- power dynamics that are sometimes present in niche communities like the BDSM community or polyamory or whatever, any other dating kind of scene. Uh, but kinky women have a huge advantage because there's relatively few of them and there's a lot of kinky men looking for kinky women. Mm. So you could kind of have your pick of the litter. You could be, you know, I don't know if you're dominant or whatever, but you could have like eight little submissives that, you know, you have a harem of yeah. submissive boys because there's so many of them that want to date you. Sure. Some eight little long-haired submissive elves. It's a Christmas story, <laughs> really. Um, <laughs> Snow White and the kinky dwarves, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Now, she also said something later that um, I thought I wanted to bring up just before we wrap up. Um, she said she's a woman in her 30s, uh-huh. and she feels like for women in her thir- in their 30s, the options are 15 years younger or 15 years older, or 10 years younger or 10 years older, something like that. Hmm. 
I assume she means like, you know, it's either a cougar, cougar cub relationship or you're dating a 50 year old man. Oh, why does it have to be that way? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm kind of confused, but maybe she thinks that all the men in their 30s are kind of like married right now or aren't available or either they're not interested in getting married. I don't know that, you know, that's a possibility. Yeah, I could see that on the average like the guys in their thirties would be unavailable for varying reasons. And like your only option is somebody either who's not, hasn't entered the relationship arena yet so much like in their twenties or that has left a bunch of arenas, uh, like in their forties. <laughs> it's been in a lot of arenas yeah. and has stepped out of the ring. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess I could understand that that makes some sense, but I don't know. There's guys out there in their thirties. I agree. And I mean, if you like long hair, you know, and you're not completely heterosexual. Oh, well, you that's... could always consider expanding your horizons and date a woman. Getting with women is the, always the ultimate solution. Now, and I don't want to say like because some people are completely heterosexual or just don't want, would never consider dating a woman. Right, and and that's fine if you are. But if you're if you're bi already and if you're open to it, then that might be an option. Yeah. So there you go. All right. I think we pushed the gay agenda enough for one day. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the question. If you have relationship questions, post them in our Facebook group or send it to us, show at sexandsciencehour.com or use our contact form on our website, sexandsciencehour.com. We'll be back with the after show. But if you're not joining us for that, thanks for listening. And we'll be back at you next week. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. hour this is the after show had a couple of emails oh but first of all the after show is brought to you by stuff.sexandsciencehour.com thanks to everybody who participates in our after show by doing your shopping through that link and if you hear about an item on our after show that you want to get you can always go head on over to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and grab one for yourself uh, Laura writes in, she says she bought the craft kit in last week's episode that I couldn't see because I was running off my phone, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she actually sent me a picture of it. It looks really cool. It's a 3D craft kit fantasy one. And she got it as a gift for her 14-year-old niece for Christmas. So thank you, Laura. I appreciate that. Fantastic. Um, Mike Oxard writes in and says his <laughs> items are not showing up. What the heck is up with that? Um, the last month or so, I haven't heard my purchases on the after show. I got, listen to this, a pool and snowblower, two Raleigh bicycles, and an Acer laptop for my pillows, etc. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Um, Why could his stuff not be showing up? He said he, he uh, used a bookmark that he's always used, and last week he went to the link directly. Yeah, that's weird. 
I, I don't know why that's why all that's not showing up. Um, really, you're supposed to be the tech. No, nah, I, I know, I know. I thought you would have a better answer. And if for it's it. a link, like it's it wouldn't be a cookie issue because the link would keep taking. I was you thinking, right like, there. does he have an ad blocker or something? I don't think that would affect it. I I'm, don't know. I'm looking into this. Okay, so because Amazon's been playing some funny games lately, so I will. Yes. I will. We report. don't say Amazon. This is the after show. We say stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Right. Right. So, which is in no way affiliated with Amazon. <laughs> right. It's not. Yeah, we don't speak for Amazon or anything like that. We're not. We're going to stop saying Amazon. Okay. All right. No more saying that. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going to look into this. I'll figure it out. All right. So what did people buy through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? Well, one of the items was a Bluetooth smart. You're not going to like this, Brian. But oh, no. it's a cool concept, but it is connected to the Internet of Things, or at least Bluetooth. It's a Bluetooth electric smoker, like for smoking bacon or meats, I think. With integrated Bluetooth technology, you can control it from your phone. 721 square inches of cooking space with four chrome-coated smoking racks. This is awesome. And it has a picture of, like, like ribs and corn and, like, sausages in there. Oh, God, it looks so good. Uh, I am so torn about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it says there's nothing quite like mastering something, whether frying a turkey or flying a plane, filleting a fish or rebuilding an engine. The path to mastery is the path to our best the the path to our best self. Uh, at Masterbuilt, we believe that given the right tools, anything can be mastered. That's why we get, build products to help you make you proud. Products that help you make the perfect slow cooked ribs. Try out different wood flavors and seasonings, and create signature dishes that become family traditions. And with integrated Bluetooth smart technology, you can power on, off, monitor, and control cooking temperature and time. Operate the food light and monitor the internal meat temperature all from your phone. Yeah, it's so weird. It is so weird, yeah. yeah. I guess you put actual wood chips in it. It can hold 12 chickens, two whole turkeys, four racks of ribs, 48 sausages, 24 burgers, and four pork butts. Or uh, four pork butts. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I'd install the app, but boy, I'd use the shit out of that. Oh, you know, that yeah. Maybe so, yeah. we should get one. Mm. I mean, it's a pretty big machine, but obviously it can hold four turkeys, right? Yeah, those turkeys. <sighs> somebody <laughs> somebody got the Satanic Bible by Anton Zandor LeVay. Oh, I know. Oh, well, I won't <laughs> you know say. You know who it was? I won't say, but I, <laughs> yes. Okay. But anyway, great read. Yeah. Look, just a great read, straight up. I mean, called the Black Pope by many of his followers, <laughs> Anton LaVey began the road to high priesthood of the Church of Satan when he was only 16 years old and an organ player in a carnival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get compared to him a lot. On Saturday night, I would see men lusting after half-naked girls dancing at the carnival. And on Sunday morning, when I was playing the organ for tent show evangelists at the other end of the carnival lot, I would see those same men sitting in the pews with their wives and children, asking God to forgive them and purge them of their carnal desires. And the next Saturday night, they'd be back at the carnival or some other place of indulgence. I knew then that the Christian church thrives on hypocrisy and that man's carnal nature will win out. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um this is a pretty short book isn't it oh yeah it's very small yeah i've read this i think but yeah. it's been a lot of years since i read it but it's the number one bestseller in philosophy of good and evil <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I actually like Satanism. I don't know about Levain Satanism, but like just uh, the Church of Satan, right? Well, that's Levain Satanism. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. What was the one that we went to the yoga class? Uh, well, that's no, Satanic, Satanic Temple. Temple. That's yeah, that's different. right. I get confused. Yeah. See, I'm not. I'm a noob. I don't know. I that's sorry. Really I don't know what I'm talking about. But I like what I hear in Satanism about like basically rational self-interest and yeah. don't hurt anybody else, but like do what's best and it, like don't be afraid to have fun and enjoy yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, it's just egoism. That, that's all it is, and they just gave it a fancy name with a shocking black pentagram and a Baphomet. Yeah, toss on, on some symbols, you know. All right. Um, somebody got a snow brush, which is very useful for the weather that we're having right now. Got our first the snow. flakes are falling tonight as we record the show. <laughs> we knew we had to do the show tonight because we wanted to be snowed in doing sash. That's our favorite thing yeah. to do. Well, second favorite thing to do in the Ye- snowstorm. Yes. First thing <laughs> might start with an S as well. <laughs> um the brush is a Hopkins 532 Mallory 26-inch snow brush with foam grip, and it also has a scraper on one side for less than $10. That's pretty good. Awesome. Somebody got a KitchenAid wire whip for a stand mixer, $15.99. Somebody's making maybe like meringues or something like that or frosting. Mm. AAA 85-piece commuter first aid kit for 15 bucks. That's good. It's got some scissors, some tape, some Band-Aids, sterile gauze, alcohol swabs, big pads, everything you could ever need. Oh, a KitchenAid mixer dough hook, also good for playing Peter Pan and Captain Hook. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I've, used, I've used a dough hook before. It's like if you're kneading dough, it kind of like, and the mixer can do it for you with this hook. Right. Uh, Amazon Basics backpack for laptops up I to we going to say that inches. Well, it's in the name of the product. Okay. Stuff.sectionsciencehour.com <laughs> basics backpack for laps up to 17 inches laptops. I'm just trying to like get the rules down. Okay. Yeah, right. there are no rules. I, I know. I don't know. I break my own rules. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this looks cool. I mean, it's a backpack that can fit a laptop up to 17 inches and it has lots of different pockets and you can put a water bottle in there. Ooh, that looks good. No, I got to say, their whole basics line like, is it, really good. It's yeah. really inexpensive, yeah. but it's great, especially like the their wires and everything. Yeah, batteries. I mean, all that's solid. Yeah. Purina Beyond Natural Grain Free Ocean Whitefish and Egg Dry Cat Food. That's good. No corn, wheat, or soy. Ocean whitefish is the number one ingredient. No chicken product byproduct meal, and it's gluten free. I mean, cats are obligate carnivores. They should not be eating a vegetarian diet. They should not be eating gluten, probably. Yeah. And, you know, gluten-free kitty. All right. Sounds good. That is, uh, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com basics. <laughs> AA, double per- A performance alkaline batteries, 48 count. Perfect. We were just talking those, about this. Those things will last forever. I can't believe we got our branding on them. Now, <laughs> that's right. It's awesome. Yeah. Now, 48 batteries for 1187. That's a good price. Yeah. That's like 25 cents a battery. It's really good. You know what I miss? I used to love, well, okay. So I used to love the Radio Shack catalog. I used to read it like the Bible mm-hmm. and as often. And it, you know, like they used to talk about all these different, I mean, you didn't just, back then it seemed like you didn't just have double A's. And I know you kind of have this now. There's different versions of energizers and all that, but like they really sold you on, well, this double A battery can do this, 
you know, and you don't get that anymore. Now it's just like, yeah, it's a double What could A. they do? What were, what were the selling points? I don't know. Like it could last longer. It had this kind of compression. I mean, like there's. Well, just, like I remember that the Energizer Bunny. Yeah. That's a great marketing campaign. Like he just keeps going. Yeah. Drum when other ones fail. Yeah. I mean, and I know like there's Energizer Titanium or something where they do better in cameras and all this stuff. But mm. I don't know. There just used to be some real marketing where even a battery was exciting. You know, and I just, I would love if we have a stuff.sexandsciencehour.com basics battery, I would love for it to be exciting. Well, it's cheap. You don't get cheap and exciting in the same package. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> market. Do you, would this. you rather have it be affordable or exciting? Me? Exciting. But <laughs> I, I understand the affordability. So anyway. Somebody bought the headphones that we are literally wearing on our ears right now as we do the show. They are superior headphones. They are considered the gold standard in broadcast radio and voiceover and all kinds of audio applications. For a podcaster, they're golden. Um, and that, that is the Sony MDR7506 large diaphragm headphones. These are over-the-ear headphones. They're very comfy. They've got, you know, padding on the ears. So it's I, I wear them all day, every day, and I don't get headaches. Yeah, so, literally, literally, Sony has not, like, updated the design in, in probably decades. And they don't need to because yeah. it allows you to hear a wider range of frequencies than just your shitty earbuds or headphones yeah. that, that you have. And it sounds completely different. Like, you can actually hear the sound of a good microphone, whereas with other headphones, you know, you often can't tell. You can't hear those little details. It's basically like higher resolution audio. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sony just doesn't care. You'll just, you know, the ones you have will eventually go bad and you'll just buy another pair. Maybe oh, I then, totally will. I, they've yeah. got a customer for life. Yeah. I have like four pairs of those headphones because I put them all over the place. Like one's my travel pair, one's my studio pair, one's your studio pair. Yep. And the other one, I don't know, it's maybe it wore out or something, but the headphones themselves didn't wore out, wear out. It was just the padding on the ears kind of wore out. So right. I had to get some replacements for that. But I mean, they're solid. They're rock solid. So yes, yeah, so Sony MDR 7506 headphones, amazing. Worth every penny. They're 80 bucks or so, but they're totally worth it. Endangered Species Chocolate Variety Pack, 12 flavors. Mm. This is interesting. This is like, this is like high-end organic chocolate. And each bar has a picture of an endangered species on it and it makes you feel bad for the poor little animals so well, like they, they not want me to eat the chocolate like i'm gonna see no, that i mean they're start not crying or, in no, the that's chocolate. what makes me eat the chocolate because i start feeling <laughs> bad and i need to like get the same chemical reaction within my body as right love. you need like it's an antidepressant to make yes. you feel better and oh that's that's fucking that's insidious genius, isn't it that's insidious that's... i guess they donate like 12 or 10 percent of their profits to the um to the endangered species but who knows i don't really know but i mean it's it's cute it's a good idea so we had here's the flavors dark chocolate with cinnamon cayenne dark chocolate with sea salt and almonds dark chocolate with cherry tiger dark espresso bean rainforest dark mint grizzly dark raspberry wolf dark cranberry almond sea otter milk chocolate oh my god chimpanzee dark chocolate hazelnut toffee panther extreme dark chocolate Panther. And I saved the best for last. Arctic Fox 
with pumpkin spice. Oh, my God. Add to cart right now. <laughs> I'm adding it to my cart. Because I feel uh, I have a hankering. you got to try that Arctic Fox with yeah, pumpkin spice. Yeah, and the panther, and the rainforest, and the wolf. Yeah, okay. now the first couple didn't say... Actually, this is weird, because I'm looking at the packaging for these chocolates... And some of the animals that were mentioned, I don't see. Uh (laughs) And some of the animals that I see weren't mentioned. So, like, one of them has a rhino on it. Another one has a bald eagle. We didn't hear bald eagle anywhere. (laughs) Another one has a bat. Another one has a puffin. Bald eagle chocolate. It's made from the dead carcasses (laughs) of the cow beans or something. (laughs) Uh, There might be another one because there's another one that has blueberries. So, maybe they just... Oh, yeah. this This one has some of the other animals that were missing. This one has, like, monkeys, bears... Griffin, uh, falcon, not griffins. Those are mythical creatures. Sea turtles, falcons, and it has blueberry chocolate. Ooh, dark chocolate with blue blackberry sage. Oh. Oh my fucking god! This sounds amazing. All right. Wow. All right. Endangered species chocolate for the win. Oh, this is a good thing to have. Jumper cables, four gauge, extra long, twenty foot jumper cables with carry bag and emergency auto escape tool. Nice. Yes, this is a good thing to have in your car. Yep, everybody um, should. Yeah, everybody should. If you have a car, you should have some jumper cables. And 20 feet is a pretty good length because someone can't always get right next to you. Yeah. And then that little escape tool, you just put it in the center console and you can cut your seatbelt and smash the window if you end up underwater. Yeah, or if, you know, you're Don't just, panic. <laughs> I mean, it might be a bad day and, you know. Uh-huh. Boyfriend breaks up with you, cut the seatbelt. Oh, my God. No, we would never advocate something like that. Uh, Green and black, dark chocolate collection. Somebody likes chocolate here. Uh, This is only a four count, but it's called the Chocolate Library Gift Set, and it looks like a box set of books, but it's actually chocolate. So they've got um, salted caramel, pure dark chocolate, 70% dark chocolate, and then raspberry hazelnut dark chocolate. I'm dying right now. Green I need to go to the store. Black. Now, okay, tell me what you think about this. Okay. Green and Black is a brand of chocolate yes, that is very familiar. fair trade, organic, and high-end. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they are anarcho-primitivists, yes or no? Because <laughs> it's green and black? Because green and black. I wouldn't be surprised. No, an- anarcho-primitivists are more just, just green, right? They're not... They don't mess it's, with the black. It's the green and blue. Well, they're like ec- <laughs> like ecological anarchism mm-hmm. or environmental oh, yeah, an- so. anarchism. Yeah, I could I could actually believe that they are. That I think would, there's a lot of these. That would seem to be a dog whistle, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. This is super super cute. Stylish women but women's button down long sleeve hooded cardigan sweater. This is like a bulky cable knit sweater with buttons down the front. And it has a hood, and it's like this gray fabric. It looks super warm, super comfy. Um, they have different colors, too. They've got blue, brown, gray, uh, red, like model, like kind of red and white. It's really nice. It's a cute sweater. Um, reasonably priced, too. It's like twenty nine ninety nine. Pretty good. Reasonable. Lego Ninja minifigure, Zane Titanium Ninja with gold and silver weapons. All right. 14 bucks for a ninja. I don't think they had ninja sets when I was growing up. I got to understand, I played with Legos until I was 21. Mm. And yeah, I don't think they ever really had like Ninja Go and stuff like that. They weren't really part of the program back then. And it's a shame because that's like the only Legos I really wanted. They did have Robin Hood, though. 
That was good. Lego My Ninjas. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Advantech white noise sound machine with 20 non-looping soothing sounds. Somebody's looking to get that good night's sleep you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. We were just talking about this. Now, the, I wear earplugs to sleep because I've been used to it for like 20 years. Yeah. But um, somebody recently told me that earplugs, I don't know, they, they can trap water in your ears and increase the likelihood of getting an ear infection. No. I don't, I'm not really prone to them, so knock on wood, you know, it hasn't, <laughs> it doesn't seem to bother me. But um, if it does bother your ears, or if you just don't like sticking things in your ears, because plenty of people just don't like actually the physical sensation of something being in their ears, yeah, but you need to drown out noise, you can use a white noise machine. And they have like sounds like ocean. It's it's very soothing. It's good. They've got waves, wind, campfire. Ooh, that's nice. Rain, bird, cricket, clock, and fan. Hmm. That's nice. I can sleep through anything. I kind of I do enjoy. Like I used to love sleep when I was younger. I used to enjoy sleeping with a fan going because mm -hmm. a lot it, of people do that. Yeah. Well, and I didn't even have the fan blowing on me. It just like even dead of winter, I would have a fan going. It, to me, it sounded like a Starship engine, but maybe that's like a white noise thing. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, but now, yeah, I don't like to have sleep aids. I can pretty much sleep through anything. Right on. Been in a war. Oh, well, I'm sorry about dun, that. Dun, dun. But it's good that you can sleep now. Yeah. Asus Radon RX 580 8GB Dual Fan OC Edition Ready Blah Blah VR Ready AMD Graphics Card. Oh my god, this is a serious looking graphics card with three fans on it. <laughs> I'm gonna play some Star Wars Battlefront oh, 2. Yeah. $335.98. Nice. I wonder if this is for gaming. It's probably for gaming. Nobody mines with graphics card anymore. Not exactly. Yeah. Mining cryptocurrencies. And finally, oh, this is really cool. Magnetica Magnetic Ball sculpture set for stress relief nice 14 dollars. now i thought these were illegalized because kids were choking on them but i guess maybe they won that lawsuit these are really fun to play with you can make all kinds of shapes with them and they're, they are very soothing so happy sculpture building from all of us here at sexandsciencehour.com thanks for shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com if you heard something on the after show that you want to pick up maybe that dangerous species chocolate hint hint uh, head on over there, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a great one, everybody. Ooh.